Well, thank you to all of you who work in one way or another behind the scenes and helping with the technology here at Calvary, um, not only on the weekends, not only in, on our campus, but online and throughout the week. We have a number of folks who are serving in that way right now. There are people who throughout the week with different ministries, both staff and those in the congregation who give their time and energy to making sure that audio and video and cameras and computers and online streaming and all those things are happening. There are folks back there. There are folks over here uh, right now during the service. Uh, and they deal with all these different aspects of technology, and they work so hard to make sure that we worship and we learn from God's word and we fellowship together distraction-free. And I just wanna say thank you to all who work like that video demonstrated so hard to make sure that we communicate Christ clearly here at Calvary Community Church. Thank you so much for the way in which you serve. I'd like to ask you to get out your smartphone, whether it's an iPhone or a, a Samsung Galaxy or some other thing, and to recognize this device in our hands, and just look at this. This is a telephone, a lot different than the one Alexander Graham Bell patented in 1876, right? But when you look at this device, this phone you have, it's not just voice, you can do FaceTime, you can do social media, you can do texting. Um, I can access books that when I was in seminary, they told me you could only find in a seminary library because they were so old or they were so expensive, and they're all right here on my iPhone now. I've even got an app that I can take a picture of the leaf of a plant and it'll tell me exactly what kind of plant that is, what kind of tree that is, just by the leaf, here on my phone. Now over the years, to get to this spot, to get to this place of great satisfaction with the device we hold in our hands, we've gone through a number of iterations. As a matter of fact, this picture kind of represents those different uh, phases of phone technology over the years. Not long ago, I ran into a video clip of, uh, uh, from 1940 when uh, things were moving from an operator assisting you to make every call to uh, actually technology doing it through the high-end technology of the rotary dial phone. And they actually made these 16-millimeter movies that they sent out to libraries and the Kiwanis Clubs and, and uh, all the different community groups and to schools and PTA groups because they wanted to teach everybody on this new technology. And watch just a little clip from 1940 as they taught them of this new technology of the rotary dial phone. number in your new directory. Second, raise your telephone and listen for the dial tone. Third, dial each number carefully, making sure you bring the dial all the way around to the finger stop each time. Then let go. Don't try to hurry it back. I'm sure if you follow these simple rules, you'll find your new dial telephones easy to operate, convenient to use, and quick in service. Thank you. 
Can you imagine if they made a video that in-depth on how to use their iPhone? How long that video would take? Now, we look at the iPhone or the Galaxy, Samsung, uh, Google phone. You look at that phone, and it's so complex, and there's so much with this end product we have today, but you have to go back and see how we got to that place. It's, it's quite incredible, that journey from 1876. Today, we as a church are at a certain stage of 46 years, and we look back last week to understand a little bit about how we got here, and in this series we're a part of called Calvary Next, we're talking about our Calvary 2030 vision. We're looking forward as to what God has for us as a church, has given to our leaders here at Calvary, our elders, our pastors, and our leadership team. So we're going to be talking about our next vision, specifically today, and getting grounded in what that vision includes and what... Um, we'll be focusing on over the years to come. If you open your Bibles to Acts chapter two, we're looking at the book of Acts and we're looking at principles from the first century church in the book of Acts that will help us understand who God has called us to be now and as we go forward. And as we look at Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47 in a moment, and we'll be looking at a number of other texts, looking at uh, some things that Jesus said, instructed his disciples. I want us to understand while our next vision at Calvary doesn't depart from who we are as a church, there are going to be a lot of the things that we've been doing for 46 years we're going to keep doing. We're going to keep making much of Jesus. There are things we did in Calvary 2020 vision from 2011 to 2020 and even beyond through the COVID years that we will continue to do. Our next vision at Calvary doesn't depart from who we are as a church, but it does shape how we will focus ourselves to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ in this generation. It does help us focus on who God has called us to be in this specific generation, in this moment, in our community as a local church known as Calvary Community Church. And I trust by the end of this, you'll be on the edge of your seat anticipating what God has for us together as a church and what God has for you individually in the journey ahead as a part of the Calvary family. Now I wanna read Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47. Remember, we talked last week about half after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he ascended to the Father. Ten days after he ascended to the Father, the Holy Spirit came upon 120 believers at the core of that, the 12 disciples. They were infused with the power of God through his Spirit's presence. They went out, and Peter preached the first message of the church. And as he preached, 3,000 people came to Jesus. And immediately we had a local church in Jerusalem that was thriving and functioning. And we get this beautiful picture of this healthy church and how it is impacting the community around it. Acts 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves, these 3,000 people have come to Jesus, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all believers were together and had everything in common. They even sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Do you notice what's happening here? There's a, there's a stirring where they're worshiping at the temple courts. They're spending time together in their homes. They're enjoying communion together. They're following the teaching of the apostles that comes directly from Jesus they're, they're praying together, they're, they're 
investing in each other, those who have need, their needs are being met. There's this beautiful, wonderful, thriving, flourishing community of believers that is reflecting the kingdom of God, just as Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a little piece of that at the launch. This is before the church of Jerusalem would have any controversies there would be no uh, heresies doctrinally, no immorality had come in. And such a beautiful picture of this early church in the first century functioning. And notice what it says at the very end. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here they are ministering to one another, praising God, enjoying each other's company, making a difference to the point that the world around says, we gotta be a part of that. And people are getting saved and this church is growing and thriving and flourishing. Now, how did we get there? Just as we looked at kind of the end product of the iPhone and, and we go back and understand some of the journey there, even through some of that maybe overly uh, overdone uh, instruction regarding the rotary phone. How did we get to the place where you've got 3,000 people on day one who are part of this church and it's thriving and growing and meeting each other's needs and making a difference so that other people are coming to Jesus? How did we get there? Well, let me read you a couple of passages because this is the result of Jesus' earthly ministry and work. And then when he ascended to the Father, the Holy Spirit's earthly work is the Holy Spirit came upon the church. In Mark 1, 16 to 20, we read, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon Peter and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. He said, come follow me. In Mark 2, 13 through 14, once again, it says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. This is Matthew, one of the 12 disciples, the one who writes the book of Matthew in the New Testament. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. If you go to John 1, uh, 35 to 51, you see Jesus calling the other disciples, the 12 disciples. And a lot of people in church, when they hear the 12 disciples, they immediately think that disciple is exclusively those 12. That's a title they were given. Actually, they are followers of Jesus. By the time we get to Acts chapter 2 and, and the faithful followers of Christ are gathered in the upper room, there are about 120. Peter preaches his message, and now you've got 3,000, and they begin to function in this wonderful, beautiful way as described in Acts 2. But it all started with Jesus saying, come follow me, come follow me, come follow me, and I will make you a fisher of people, and they each followed him, and they became a part of a discipleship journey. Sometimes we look at the concepts of being a Christian and being disciple, a disciple as two separate things. You're a Christian, and you kind of get your ticket to heaven, and then that's all you need, and you just say, I'm a Christian. But God's calling of salvation, yes, involves eternal life, but Jesus said, I didn't come just to give you eternal life forever with me. That's a part of the promise. But when you cross that line of faith and you put your trust in the one who died, was buried, and was raised for you, you become not only a Christian, but you become a disciple. And that word means learner. 
And it doesn't mean the pouring in of knowledge or information. It means someone who is so close to that one that is discipling them and that they've patterned their life after, that they think like that person, they, they respond like that person, they have their wisdom, they understand relationships, they know how to treat people. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and have committed your life to Christ as your Savior, you are a disciple. And you are to then grow and thrive as a disciple. And I want to say this before we go any further in today's message. Before you can truly experience the discipleship we're going to talk about here of following Jesus and growing and thriving and flourishing like the believers we see in Acts chapter 2, you need to know Jesus. So I would urge you just to say, God, I get it. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I put my faith in Jesus. In that moment, God saves you, not just to give you eternal life forever, heaven, but he saves you so that as you walk with him, you can become more like Jesus and people will see Jesus in you and be drawn to Jesus. And your life could flourish and be satisfying. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, please put your faith in Christ today. I'll be available in the lobby. We have care team members down front. We'd love to talk to you about what that means, what that looks like. Celebrate if today is the day you expressed your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. We have a simple way you can communicate with us, whether you have questions or you want us to know you accepted Christ. You can text the name Jesus to the number 58568, that number below me on the screen. That's an easy way if you're online to connect with us and let us know that you've placed your faith in Christ or you have questions. But before we, we, we understand discipleship, we understand being a Christian, being a disciple is the same thing. Now, there were the, the 12 disciples with a capital T, but we are all disciples. We're all learners. We're all followers seeking to know him and become like him. And as we think about our Calvary 2030 vision, and as we share that with you today and something you'll walk off this campus with in each household, a, a brochure, a magazine that will clearly delineate that vision, I want us to understand that our mission remains the same. Our mission remains the same. So Jesus said, follow me, and those men followed him for three years. They saw how he treated people who were overlooked. They saw how he interacted with the wealthy and influential. They saw how he dealt with religious hypocrites and how he did with, dealt with Roman leaders. They got to watch how he responded when people challenged him. They saw his miracles. They heard his messages. They got to ask him questions. They experienced life with him for three years. Then he was crucified, buried, and raised. And then 40 days after he was raised from the dead, he gathered them on a mountain and said, I'm going to go be with my father, and I'm sending you guys out to continue the mission. Without you, Jesus, I'm giving you my spirit. You gather and the Spirit will come. We saw the next two, the Spirit came. But what were his final words? What did he tell him to go and do? Build buildings, establish programs, buy campuses? No. What did he say to do? Matthew 28, 19 and 20, his final words, the commissioning words to his disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That means while you're going, share Christ with people all over this planet, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. They'll publicly identify they're my followers as they, they are, are baptized in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Then it says, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. It just doesn't say teaching them the information around the, my commandments. It's no, just like you have learned from me, 
in everyday life, in this spiritual apprenticeship, the spiritual formation, you help others in that way. And then he says, oh, by the way, don't forget, and surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. He gave us his spirit to be with us, empowering us, moving in and through us. But his final words to, were to make disciples, go out and help people cross that line of faith and help them to grow and thrive and become more like me. Like Jesus, our mission remains the same. Here's what it is for us at Calvary Community Church. Calvary Community Church exists to make disciples who live and love like Jesus, to live in holiness and truth and righteousness, to love in grace and forgiveness and compassion. Not either or, both and. And, and not some behavior modification from the outside, but inward transformation as we engage together with our God. As we are being disciples, we are to be making disciples who are being transformed from the inside out by God's Spirit to make us more like Jesus in our thoughts, our attitudes, our relationships, our responses, our behaviors, every possible way more like Jesus as we grow in him and as we are spiritually transformed. This week I had the opportunity to spend a few days in Nashville with some of our uh, staff. Pastor Gina Spivey, who leads our family ministries and has been doing a phenomenal job. She and her team, her, her directors of early childhood and elementary and middle school and high school and special abilities ministry, uh, we traveled to the Children's Disciples discipleship forum and heard some great speakers on, on how we disciple the next generation, the challenges in this culture and the ways in which we can partner with families and parents to make sure their kids are being discipled. And as we uh, were there, uh, this is, this is uh, her, Gina and her team, and for some reason they never wanted to have their picture taken with me in it. I don't know what that was about, but here they are. No. <laughs> But this is a picture of them just as they were getting ready to leave and they shared it with me. Gina's in the middle there holding the cup and um, she is our family ministries pastor, oversees all this. And to her left immediately is Elena White who serves as our early childhood director. And then on the far right is Hannah Snoots who is our new special abilities ministries director. And then over on the far left of the picture, parent pastor Aaron Kajumba who is our high school pastor and they had uh, almost a thousand kids at Friday Night Lights Friday night. Uh, reaching our community for Christ. And uh, so he flew home a little early to lead that. And then Stephen Millage, uh, right next to Aaron, the second in from the left, is our elementary director. And then the tall guy in the middle you saw just a few moments ago sharing some of the family life stuff going on here at Calvary, some of the announcements. That's Connor Johnson, our middle school pastor. Now we'd have these great speakers and we were seated at round tables. And then when the speakers would be done, they would have these breakout sessions where they put some questions on the screens. That way people could discuss what was going on. I, I wanna tell you how blessed I was to be like a fly on the wall listening to Gina and her team. I've been around ministry now for 30 years and I've seen a lot of people with the next generation, they're focused on the next game, the next fun thing, the next environment. That, now don't get me wrong, fun and environments and engagement are very important to engage the next generation. But the heart of it is, how do we partner with parents to disciple children and students? How do we come alongside those affected by a special need or their family? And, and they, I, I was so blessed. I just want to say to those of you who have children and students here at Calvary, 
you, you can be very encouraged about the kind of conversations this team, and now there are others, of course, that are on her team, many in the congregation who serve in areas of children's student ministries. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we are blessed to have a team that focuses on discipling the next generation and making sure that we're helping develop followers of Christ who reflect that kind of spirit and attitude found in Acts chapter two. While we were there, we had a speaker Friday morning, a great speaker, John Mark Homer, has been a pastor and an author and just a, a real deep thinker and a practical thinker on discipleship and what we might call spiritual formation. And as John Mark Homer was talking Friday morning, I, I would lean over and, and say to others at the table, oh, this, is, this is right what I'm speaking on Sunday at Calvary. Oh, this is so good. And then I started whispering to them, he's saying it better than I was planning to say it. So John Mark Homer, when talking about being disciples and making disciples, spiritual formation of our lives and the lives of our children, the next generation, and more people who come to Jesus, how we help them form spiritually from the inside out and allow the Spirit of God to create that transformation. He says, spiritual formation is not a Christian thing, it is a human thing. Every human being has a soul. God has breathed the eternal breath of life into us. And so every human being is being spiritually formed in one way or another. Comer says, all of us are being formed spiritually, discipled by something or someone. Maybe you and your family are being discipled by the media. Maybe you or your family are being discipled by entertainment. Maybe you're being discipled by philosophers or educators. Maybe you're being spiritually formed and shaped in that, that sole part of your life by a political party. There are all kinds of voices and ways that we can be shaped. You can be an atheist here visiting with us today and you're saying, this doesn't have to do with me. You are being spiritually formed by some philosophy or thinking because God made us as beings who are being formed. Even an atheist, an agnostic, someone of another religion, everyone is being formed by things. And all too often, we're allowing our spirit, our soul, our inner person to be formed by other things other than the spirit of God who points us to Jesus. So what do we wanna do if we wanna be disciples who then can be a part of making disciples? What, what's key to that? Comer pointed out that when Jesus said, come follow me, and before he got to the place where he sent the 12 out and, and launched eventually the church through the Spirit of God coming on those believers and the 3,000 starting the church at Jerusalem, Jesus said to them, come follow me, and that meant they would, they would hang out with him and, that meant that he would say to them, become like me. And that meant then he'd say, now you go and you fish for people and you call others to be my followers. So if you wanna really be engaged in discipleship yourself and healthy spiritual formation from the inside out, arrange your life, Comer says, in these three areas, in these three ways. Number one, to be with Jesus. Arrange your life to open God's word, talk to God in prayer. The older I get and the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I find myself mumbling in Costco or going through a parking lot talking to the Lord about what just happened or what's happening next and people probably think I'm crazy and I'm just developing a, a deeper walk with the Lord. You gotta abide with Jesus and let the Spirit of God speak into your heart. This is abiding that Jesus talked about in John 15. Secondly, arrange your life to become like Jesus. Say, my desire today is to open God's word as I talk to God in prayer, I let other believers speak into my life and meditate on God's word. My, my desire is to be more like Jesus in every way. 
to become like Jesus. I gave my life to Christ for vocational ministry when I was 14, the month of September. And throughout my life, I have taken the month of September to ask myself three questions every day during, during September. Am I more like Jesus than I was a year ago? Am I more like Jesus than I was a month ago? Am I more like Jesus than I was yesterday? That doesn't happen by default. It doesn't happen accidentally. Spiritual formation is intentionally putting ourselves in the space where we can be with Jesus. And then we set our eyes on becoming like Jesus, inviting his spirit to change what needs to be changed in us, to mold us and make us and shape us like Jesus. Arrange your life to be with Jesus. Arrange your life to become like Jesus. And thirdly, arrange your life to do what Jesus did. You say, well, I have this profession, I have this profession as a follower of Christ. Your number one purpose in life is to do what Jesus did. Call others to follow Jesus. Show them the way. Share the words of the gospel. Move them toward an understanding of who Christ is. and Move them toward that place. They cross that line of faith and follow him too. To do what Jesus did. Live the way he lived in this world with the kindness and compassion and yet the truth and holiness. Let me ask you, who or what is discipling you and your family? Something and someone is discipling you and your family. Who is it? Maybe the Spirit of God is speaking to you that you're letting this thing in the media, this entertainment thing, this political voice, this, 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 this is speaking into your life more than you're allowing God and his Spirit to shape you as you abide with Christ, as you allow other believers to pour into your heart and life. Who or what is discipling you and your family? Our mission as a church remains the same. Calvary Community Church exists to make disciples who live in love like Jesus. Well, then what is that gonna look like? What does living and loving like Jesus look like? What are we gonna be passionate about as individuals, as families, as a church as a whole? What's gonna drive us? What are gonna be the drivers in our life? In our 2020 vision, we had these same three things. We said we will love God more. We said we will love people more. And we said we will love more people. We talked about that as a driving passion of who we were. It helped us with that, that vertical relationship with God, a, a relationship with the people already in our lives, and then a desire to reach more people and bring more people in our lives to point them to Jesus and to have a greater influence for Christ. Those same three things are part of the Calvary 2030 vision, just as making disciples is at the core of our mission, to be disciples who are becoming disciples that make disciples. But we've changed the wording a bit with a couple of these. Let's, let's take the first one, loving God more. The, the language hasn't changed. You remember when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What was his answer? Matthew chapter 22, Jesus answered when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? All the hundreds of commandments of the Old Testament, Jesus. And this was a trick by a Pharisee trying to trip him up because that was a debate they had in their groups and they wanted to figure out who he'd side with. But Jesus replied, Matthew 22, 37 to 38, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's what the Old Testament said. With all your soul, that's what the Old Testament said. And with all your mind, the Old Testament didn't say that. Jesus added mind. Why? By the time of the Roman era, after the Greeks, they were not just describing human beings as body and soul. They were saying there were body, soul, and mind. And he's saying, then love God with all you got. The Old Testament says, with your strength. And that's what he repeats in Luke 10 as he answers the question, the strength being our, our personal determination, our ability to, to will what we're gonna do next. And he's saying here, do this because this is the first and greatest commandment. So what is Jesus saying? 
Love God with all you got. Every fiber of your being. Loving God. Author and speaker Andy Crouch says, we are heart, soul, mind, strength complexes designed for love. Every part of our being was designed by our creator so that we would have a loving relationship and fellowship with him and we would have a loving relationship with people. We'd love God and we'd love people. But sin has entered in and messed that all up and broken it down to where we struggle to know what love even is or to feel loved or to express pure, selfless, others-oriented love. But we're to be loving God more. That's what God designed us for. That's in our own hearts, in our own walk with God, cultivating our own relationship with him, spending time with him, setting, out, setting apart some time to love God more in a devotional, quiet time where you read God's word and you pray, but then throughout the day to be thinking about him and how he relates to your relationships, your activities, your job, so that your life is about Christ because you're loving God more in your own heart. And then it's in our fellowship, in our body of believers, in our small groups, our ministry teams, our Bible studies, our prayer groups, that we're encouraging each other to love God more every day. Even as we talk in the lobby after services, are we encouraging one another to love God more as a part of our fellowship as believers here at Calvary Community Church? Loving God more in our hearts, in our fellowship, and thirdly, in our worship. We worship God, we sing praises to him, we lift up his name. We want him to receive the honor and the praise. And as we do that and gathering and worship, we together love God more through our worship and singing and responding and obedience to God's word and our prayer and our giving of our offerings to the Lord and our giving of ourselves in service. Loving God more. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you saying, hey, yeah, that's, you need to focus on this one. This is the, this is the one you, you need to start right here. Lean into God. Open his word. Talk to him in prayer. Develop that inner life, that inner walk with God so you can be changed from the inside out. Now, normally, I would go from point one to point two, but I want you to skip point two if you're following along in the take five, and I want you to drop down to point three because point three is the next thing Jesus says in Matthew 22, and he said, asked, what is the greatest Commandment. He says, love God with all you got. And then he says, quoting the Old Testament again, and the second is like it, verse 39 of Matthew 22, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything of the Old Testament, he says, everything of the Old Testament hangs on loving God and loving people. Loving God with everything you got and then loving your neighbor as yourself. So this third step in what it looks like to live and love like Jesus, the third driving passion we need to have is loving our neighbors more. We used to say loving more people. This is about loving our neighbors more, using that language that Jesus used, that the Old Testament used. But what does that mean? They had debates in Jesus' day about, well, loving your neighbor, is that the person next door to you but not the next person? Or maybe it's four houses down, some would argue, and not the fifth house down. Isn't that crazy? When Jesus was asked this question in Luke 10, he responds with the story of the Good Samaritan. Jewish guy is beaten up on the road between Jericho and Jerusalem, left for dead on the side of the road by these robbers and thieves. Long come some Jewish leaders who by their laws and practices believed he was not their neighbor so they could pass by. 
But then, as Jesus tells the story, he says, along comes a Samaritan, and the Jewish people listening, the Pharisees listening, are in a panic. We hate the Samaritans. They hate us. This guy's day is about to get a lot worse. This Samaritan is probably going to kick him in the head and beat him until he's dead, is in their minds. And Jesus said, along comes a Samaritan who stopped and used his own resources to help this man, then put him in an inn to take care of him, and said, I'll be back to look after him soon. Jesus answered that question with who is my neighbor by saying, it's the person near you now. Love the person nearest you now. And yes, it has a little bit to do with proximity, location, right? That good Samaritan came across that man on the narrow pathway road between Jerusalem and Jericho. But let me make this point. Loving your neighbor has little to do with your shared proximity and everything to do with your shared humanity. Do you hear me? Yes, he was there close to him and could see him physically, and he was physically in proximity to love his neighbor. But it was all about, it was all about noticing another human being. Perhaps he thought of him as one made in the image of God. The Samaritans believed in Jehovah God too. In our world today, we've got social media and we've got ways to communicate that's supposed to make us better human beings when I think it's robbing humanity of its heart. Don't be wrong, I'm not saying all social media is bad, but now we say things to people we barely know, we scream at people where we would never talk to them if we were in person because we're, we're losing our sense of our common bond as image, beings made in the image of God and that we share value in our common humanity because of how God has designed us. So let me say it again. Loving your neighbor has little to do with your shared proximity and everything to do with your shared humanity. So then you love that person as much as you love you. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. But he would raise the stakes in his discussion with the disciples and he would even take it further. Love that person as much as you love you. And by the way, we do love ourselves pretty well. <laughs> even better, as much as Jesus loves you. Love that person as much as Jesus loves you. Loving your coworker, the person you barely know, but you sense their need, the common humanity, and you're there in that physical proximity. Someone has put it this way. When Jesus said, love your neighbor, he knew your neighbor would act, look, believe, vote, and love differently than you. But we can't say because that person is so this or so that or so this or I can't stand that or they live this way or that way. There, there's no cop out here. There's no asterisk next to love your neighbor. We need to love our neighbors. As I mentioned, I was in, I was in Nashville with the team this week and I rented a car. I got there a day early to see some family that are there in uh, Nashville and on Thursday afternoon, the first day of this two-day conference, I went to slip back to the hotel to grab something I'd forgotten, went back to the hotel. Wouldn't you know that when I got this rental car from Avis, it's interesting, it is the exact same model, a couple-year-old uh, Ford Escape that I drive every day here in our area. And one of the things I love about that particular car, and, and everything was exactly the same, except for mine's white and this one was red. Um, when I get out of the car, I can hit this, Keyless entry on the outside door, two buttons and it locks the car. But if my keys are in, my car just honks and won't lock. 
So I jump out of this car to run into my hotel room to get back so I don't miss anything much at the conference. And when I jump out of the car, I hit the two buttons. Why in the world Avis changed the default on this car, I will never know. <laughs> Soon as I do it, I notice my keys in the center console. I'm locked out. So I call Avis roadside assistance. This is probably somewhere between 2.30 and 3, probably closer to 3 o'clock Thursday afternoon. And they get these messages, be there in 60 minutes, then it got down to 30 minutes, then it jumped back up to 40 minutes, then it went down to 10 minutes, then it jumped back to 25 minutes. And so this, I start this, I make this initial call around 2.45, 3 o'clock, and at 7.15, guy calls and says, I'm Avis roadside assistance. I'm out front at the hotel, and I said, that's funny, so am I. I'm standing right out here, and I'm looking for a tow truck, and I get, okay, when they do battery charging or get your keys out, they don't need a tow truck, so they've got these roadside assistance kind of minivans or you know, something wrapped that shows the company's name and all that, and so I'm standing there, and he's talking to me, and there's this car in front of me that's just making no, no muffler, and nasty smoke coming out, and he's talking to me, and I, he says, I'm right in the front, I'm very front of the hotel, and I said, I'm standing in the front of the hotel, I don't see you, and he says, well, where are you? I said, I'm right here, right on the curb edge, and, and I said, but I can't hear you very well, I've got to go somewhere else, there's this car that's making all this noise, and, and he rolls down the window of the car, and says, I'm Avis Roadside Assistance. This is the car the guy showed up in to be Avis Roadside <laughs> Assistance. Now, if that pulled up with one of my daughters on the side of the road who was stranded, I don't, I mean, just the way this car looked. It had, and so he says, well, where's your car? And I said, it's on the other side of the hotel. And he says, well, you walk over there and I'll follow you. So here I am walking through the hotel parking lot slowly. And I've got this car following me. And I've had it up to here, and I'm ready to just, whoever represents Avis, you know, next in my path, I'm going to try and be as Christian as I can be, but I don't know if it's going to happen. And I, I'm just thinking, what am I going to say to this guy? I can't believe this. And, and the Holy Spirit just starts whispering, love your neighbor. <laughs> I'm saying, Lord, you don't understand, you know, this is customer service we're dealing with here, and all I keep hearing from the Spirit is, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, love your neighbor. We get all the way to the car, and he gets out, and, and he gets into my car, and gets it opened up. I sign the form, and, and I said, hey, I'm just, I'm just curious, you know, uh, I was expecting kind of, he said, you're expecting a car that had, you know, he knew what I was expecting, and he said, hey, I'm not even from here, I'm from Louisville. And I was called over here. There was an opportunity to get a job here. I'm making three times what normally someone would make here in Nashville because they can't get people to do work. They're out of, you know, looking for employees. And so I'm thinking, Louisville? See, Lord, he's not even my neighbor while I'm here in Nashville. He's... <laughs> and I just talked to him a little bit, asked him if I could pray with him, found out he's kind of living out of his car, doing this. I know some of you are saying, well, you have your consumer rights. I think sometimes we as Christians so emphasize the rights we have in our nation or as consumers or for products or services we pay for, and we forget that first and foremost, we have our responsibilities to be the followers of Christ. And that includes then loving our neighbor when it isn't easy, when it isn't comfortable. 
And when we would really like to claim our rights, that's when we love our neighbor as ourselves. How do I feel? How would I feel if I was in this guy's? And so I signed the things, prayed for him, and gave him all the cash ahead. Because the spirit was just saying, love your neighbor. And I fought it and I fought it. Love God more. Jesus said, give Love God with all you got. That's the first and greatest commandment. He said, and the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. He said, then why did you skip point two? Well, point two, Jesus slips in between the first great commandment and the second great commandment that he quoted from the Old Testament as the disciples were walking with him. He slips in another avenue of love in between loving God more and loving people more, uh, loving our neighbors more. He slips in In the night before the crucifixion, this, John 13, 34 and 35, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And he makes it really clear, if you love one another. Now, you gotta understand, I've talked about it before, in the group of 12 disciples who've been traveling with Jesus, they have nothing in common other than Jesus. They have people who are on the extreme woke side of things, and they have people who are on the extreme MAGA side of things in their day in the room, and everybody in between. And he says, I'm leaving, and they're, oh boy. And he says, you know how the world is gonna know that you are really my followers? He doesn't say by your theology. Theology is important. He doesn't say by your programs. Programs and ministries can be so helpful. By your buildings. Buildings can be a wonderful tool. He doesn't say they'll know you by any of those things. You know what he says? They'll know you by how you, who shouldn't naturally love each other, love each other. That means in the body of Christ, sometimes in loving God's family more. That's it, second point. Loving God's family more. It's gonna happen when it's easy because we agree. Especially we agree on what? Who Jesus is. And we're calling others to follow Jesus and to become like Jesus as we are being disciples who are making disciples that live in love like Jesus. But also we've got to love God's family more when it's hard because we disagree. Why did Jesus, so you've got love God more, love our neighbors more, and that's Old Testament, and Jesus repeated in his ministry, but the night before he's crucified, he slides in, hey guys, I'm leaving, sending you 12 out, and guess what? The world is gonna know you're my followers, how you treat one another within this body of believers, within the family of God. That means we love God's family more when it's hard because we disagree. I've had people say to me, I'm done with church organized religion, I'm done. I'm just gonna love God and then love the world around me. And Jesus said to them, it's hard to love brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me tell you, I've been in the church most of my life. I've been a pastor 30 years and there are a lot of jerks in churches. (laughs) There are a lot of jerks in churches. There are probably a lot of jerks in this room (laughs) watching online. I know because at times I'm a jerk, right? That's the, that's the beauty of this. This is the, we love God with all we got. And then he says, and you look around within the body of Christ and how you love each other is gonna be so incredible when you love each other, who co- you love people who come from a different ethnic background, a different socioeconomic background, a different race background, a different educational background. People who come from a different political party. When you love people like that, 
That kind of love then is gonna splash over and you're gonna love your neighbor because you've been able to love people within the body of Christ who, who have different perspectives on a lot of things, but you're united in Jesus and you're filled by his spirit. That's that description in Acts 2, 42 to 47. That wasn't easy. They leaned into loving one another so the world would see their love. Why? Because Jesus said, this is how you'll know you are my followers. Sometimes people come and say, I'm gonna leave the church and go into this church because I agree with them. Now we have a lot of great churches in our community. We know that Calvary Community Church is not the only church in the Caneo Valley that preaches Christ and is part of his kingdom. We have people come to our staff sometimes and ask, you know, hey, this Calvary's not working out for me this way. I'm gonna go to this church. And we help people find other good churches where they can grow if we're not the right place. Don't get me wrong, we'd love to have you here. But we know we're not the only church. You know what I found myself saying in recent years to people? Don't just go to a church where you agree with everybody on everything. Be with people you agree with on Christ, and then as the world changes and political voices come and things happen, let's lean in and love each other when it's not easy, and that love that grows within the body of Christ splashes over into the world, and the world says, that is so weird, that is so unusual, that's because it's kingdom love as a part of Christ's kingdom, not a part of any division or, or, or group within human culture or any human environment. What is it the Holy Spirit has been whispering to you you need to do more of? Maybe he's been saying, yeah, you need to lean in and love God more. Maybe he's been saying to you, you know, you need to lean in and love God's family more. I'm glad we have Democrats and Republicans at Calvary. I'm glad we have whites and blacks at Calvary. I'm glad we have educated and uneducated, white-collar workers, blue-collar workers. I'm glad we have old and young. I'm glad we have all those different... You say, but that sounds like a mess. It is, and the beauty of it is, we're only united in Jesus. And then when we love each other, it's so weird and different in this world, people say, what is that? I need that. And what do we say? Then we say, come follow us as we follow Jesus because it's all about Jesus. Has he been whispering, love God's family more? Has the Holy Spirit been whispering, you love our neighbors more? Love your neighbor more? Now, in the next three weeks, let me give you just a preview. We're gonna get down to kind of the, the elevator part of, of a booklet that you'll receive today on the way out. It's what God is calling our church to do by 2030. This booklet, Calvary 2030, is 32 pages. It's all the details that we'll share with you over the next six weeks of the remaining eight weeks of this series, Calvary Next. And um, you'll get one of these books that we ask one per household, and uh, just don't take stacks, and I'm not gonna go in and define all the households, but one per household, please. Take this, and we want this to be, this is what God has been working in our leadership for a couple of years on, and now you get to take it out with you, and we believe this is what God is calling us to be, and, and we wanna be like that Acts 242 through 47 church, and we wanna, Continue to be a church that makes disciples who live in love like Jesus, yes. And we want to be a church that's passionate about loving God more, loving God's family more so we can love our neighbors more. But these, these are some specific things here that we're going to focus on the next eight years. Let me give you those three things that we're going to focus on. Deliberately elevate our love for God's word, not in a legalistic way, in a life-giving way. 
dramatically escalate our Christ-like compassion. That will be our greatest apologetic in a watching world that is far from God's truth. Decisively empower our next generation. A couple of weeks ago, we hinted at how that's, that's something that will even be a part of my role here at Calvary and all different aspects of who we are. And when you get this booklet, they're available. If you're on the floor, as you leave, they'll be in the tunnels. If you're up high and those doors out there, the tables are right outside. Just take one magazine per family. But when you get it, when you first look at the back page, and these are a couple of pages that have to do with prayer. And can I ask you to go through these two pages and pray these things for your church before you look at the rest of it? Because this is the heart of our prayer, and it has to do with making much of Jesus, making disciples of Jesus. And then let me just read to you one section here on page 29. We wanted to say, okay, that description of Acts 2, 42 to 47 is definitely what we would be in 2030, but what will be unique about Calvary Community Church in 2030 in the Caneo Valley, what will, it be, what will be unique? When we think about Calvary 2030, we see a day when no one will live in the greater Caneo Valley long without hearing the good news of Christ Jesus crucified for our sins. When those in our community with physical and material needs will turn to Calvary as a first response rather than a last resort. When Calvary is a trusted resource in the region for those struggling with mental health and addictions. When those in the greater Caneo Valley seeking answers know that Calvary is a place to ask questions and find answers. When the disillusioned and deconstructing know that Calvary is a place to experience healing and wholeness. When other local churches here in the Caneo Valley are deeper and wider and consider Calvary a blessing. When those who disagree with our convictions cannot deny our compassion. When the holiness of our church raises the curiosity of a watching world. These are kind of the, 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 the feel of what we want to experience by 2030 as we deliberately elevate God's word. We dramatically escalate God's, God's compassion Christ-like compassion, and we decisively empower our next generation. I don't know if you sense my excitement for what God's got for us as we move forward, but I'm excited to lead forward in this. Are you ready to engage with your church family and what God has for Calvary next? Are you ready to move forward for him? I hope you're on the edge of your seat, ready to see what God is gonna do, ready to be a part of what God's gonna do in bringing vision to life through us together as we focus on these things that are core to being followers of Jesus, even followers of Jesus in this decade. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the words of Christ. Thank you for this description of the believers gathered together in that first church. May that description be true of us now, maybe it true of us in 2030. Then we think of these specific ways you're calling us as leadership to emphasize certain things, to, to develop in certain ways. We don't know what you're going to do. You're going to do things we didn't expect. You're going to do things we, we saw and expected. You go way beyond what we could ask or imagine. But we commit this to you. And I pray for those who maybe have been convicted about whether or not they're loving God more, whether or not they're loving God's family more, whether or not they're loving their neighbors more. Whisper to us, love God more. Whisper to us, we invite you to whisper to us, Love your brother or sister in Christ more. Whisper to us that we need to love that person who is another human being, whether online or in person. We need to love that neighbor more. May Jesus be seen in us as we're transformed by your spirit so that more and more people can come to Jesus and ultimately that you would receive all the honor and the glory. We pray in Christ's name, amen. You know, as we worship, we worship in song and responding to God's word and prayer. We also worship through our giving. 
I know in this day and age, a lot of us give automatically, and I always wanna make sure that during worship, you stop and thank God for the good gifts he's given you, even though you might not be writing that check or putting that thing on bill pay or what have you. Uh, trust you, just take some time to thank God for the things he's given you. Maybe you give uh, as you're prompted because you feel that spontaneous helps you connect in your worship to God. Thank you for giving. You can give online at calvarywestlake.org give. You can give in the room through the silver boxes that are at the doors or the kiosks that are in the, the uh, lobby. Paul told the Corinthian church that when they give, they should know that God loves a cheerful giver. It's the word hilarious, where we get our word hilarious there. And it means the idea of freely giving, completely free to give God without being stingy or restricted. And that's a part of our worship to God as we give. So let's give cheerfully to our God with freedom to just lift him up in worship. We're gonna sing one final song. If you'll stand, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pray. And then as we sing this song, you can slip out. and This will kind of conclude the message. It'll send us out reminding us of God's resurrection power that moves us forward in the days and months and years ahead. And so let me pray and then we'll conclude. Father, thank you for this time together. Be glorified. And as we leave and hear these words sung over us, may we be reminded that grave is empty and that we are released to live full on for Jesus, loving God with all we got, loving people as ourselves, but also, Father, loving our brothers and sisters in Christ even when it isn't easy. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.